Welcome to Managing Marketing, and today I'm joined by Nicole Sheffield, who's one of the uh, leading uh, lights of the murky world of digital media. <laughs> Thank you, Darren. <laughs> well, what can I say? Welcome, Nicole. Because, uh, well, and the reason I say the murky world is I think it was Keith Weed at Unilever described yeah. it as the murky uh, supply chain of digital media. Yeah. Yeah, there is this perception that it's all a bit dodgy. Yeah, and we haven't helped ourselves because I think the, the 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 romantic part of digital liked to keep it all, you know, a black box, keep it all secret. And all it did was actually, at first that was exciting, but after a while people want to actually look under the hood. They want to see the engine. They want to know what's going on. And yet digital became quite protective because they felt, everyone felt they'd built their own IP. Mm. And so I think we haven't helped ourselves. And now we're kind of in the position we are now where Everybody um, is questioning whether they can trust digital media, which is, you know, a crazy place to be when you think of all the media, say, in this country, 19 million Australians every month consume digital media. Mm. So if the audience is there, we as marketers have to find ways to connect with them. Uh, but it's it's certainly not as transparent as, say, easy or easy as other industries. Well, I think it's also part of it is just the whole level of complexity. Yeah. You know, when, and, and, you know, we're both still very young at heart. <laughs> um, but, yeah, experience in the industry. I remember when I started Trinity P3 in 2000, Media was still pretty much advertisers, media owners, and agencies acting as in-betweens. Now we've got all these extra people, haven't we, playing in this space. You know, we've got the aggregators, we've got mm. the Googles and the Facebooks yeah, yeah, yeah. and the like who have suddenly plopped themselves in the middle. They take content from consumers, they take content from yeah. publishers and they monetize that and pretty much make themselves rich. Yeah. Then we've got uh, we've got the ad tech companies that are coming out with new platforms and new ways of measuring yeah. and new, you know, and they're all flogging their stuff to uh, to all in sundry. Yeah. And then uh, we've got the, the big consulting firms coming yeah. in and they're saying, oh, you know, you don't do this, do this, and, you know, giving all this advice at the C-suite level. Mm. So suddenly there's, like, so many more fingers in the pie. I mean, you must have noticed in your career... Yeah. ..the number of stakeholders you're dealing with has gone from... You know, when you're a media salesperson, you're basically selling to advertisers and direct clients. Mm. Now there's all in sundry. Yeah. Look, it has changed. I mean, I go back to the fact that I think possibly, um, you know, over time this word, which, you know, I think the word digital will go. So I think at the Let's moment, so. yeah, I think it'll go. I think all media will just be digital by, by the very nature of the way it's distributed. So in traditional media, Generally, when we're thinking media, we're thinking space. Yeah. Airtime on television, airtime on radio, a page in a newspaper or a magazine, we think space. In digital media, you don't think space because actually there's all sorts of inventory. Hmm. And the inventory can be an ad unit, so an MREC or a banner ad in the simplest form, or it actually can be really complicated data targeting. Hmm. And so the challenge I think now in our industry is as more people have got involved to come up with new ways to monetize it, they've made it murkier and more complicated to understand. But ultimately, 
you know, I think what we've got to realise is it's just another way of connecting with the consumer. And if you say you take the aggregators, what the aggregators have done is they've been able to connect with the consumer. Now, that consumer may be connecting because they're searching for something as per Google, or they may be connecting in a social environment as in they want to share their personal social My photos, twins, your twins, birthday, birthday yeah. etc. Yeah. Um, and so I think... That's the purpose um, that ultimately they serve. How they monetize then becomes really taking from traditional media and traditional content. And I think that's where people get confused and I think um, get overwhelmed. The ad tech companies, they've made it their absolute bread and butter to make it as complicated and as really difficult and jargony as possible. But the reality is... Their business is about performance. Any marketer listening to this, I go back to how is this going to make me reach more customers more effectively, either faster, more, um, you know, in a more agile environment. What What is the benefit I'm getting? Because ultimately, ad tech is about performance. It's actually really not about creativity. It's not about engagement. It's about performance. Because mm. I read a, um, a quote recently, uh, Robert Gottlieb, yeah. He's the chair of Group M, or I think he's just resigned or moved up to it. No. And he said, wherever there's confusion, there's opportunity for profit. <laughs> and uh, that's one of the things that I'm, you know, I mm. think has really happened here is, as you say, you know, there's lots of stakeholders. They're all making contributions. They've all got a stake in the game. Mm. But, you know, when you look at, uh, let's say, compare a buying space, as you say, mm. in a newspaper or magazine, it was pretty much the advertiser, the agency, mm. and the publisher. Mm. You try and translate that into any sort of digital transaction, mm. and suddenly you see this, uh, what the murky ecosystem has mm. got five or six people mm. all with their fingers in the pie. Yeah. And we've seen all those charts that the ANA in the US produce that show how only 40% mm. gets to the publisher because everyone else is taking their cut on the way through. Yeah, that's so true. And I think that's the other challenge because it's confusing confusing everyone is taking a, you know a slice of the pie and so ultimately the advertiser who started off just wanting the end consumer the way they get there is not linear anymore it's really complicated and really difficult mm. and so therefore in the end they've spent a dollar but they've really only got 40 cents of value and that 60 cents what is that 60 cents that they've lost along the way delivering and that's what everyone now is getting really concerned about and I think all this fabulous attention, whether it's Mark Pritchard in the US um, from Procter & Gamble or whoever's drawing um, focus ANA in the US, Mm. it's a really good thing because the more focus we can actually put towards transparency, the more trust we'll have and we'll actually be able to, I think, have better performing marketing campaigns. Well, it's interesting because, you know, uh, the idea of transparency is great in principle but it actually becomes incredibly difficult to mm. deliver from a technology yeah, point of view. Because yeah, yeah. You know, a lot of marketers that we talk to don't even get that, say, a programmatic trade, the whole mm. thing happens in about 300 milliseconds. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So then you're, you know, you're talking about uh, uh, transparency. All you can really do is understand the process. Yeah. To actually, you know, they're talking about blockchain will suddenly make yeah. all capture all this and make it all transparent. But... I'm just wondering whether, you know, something you mentioned a minute ago is should we be focusing on transparency or should we be focusing on performance? Yeah, no. Because one of the things I love about the digital media Mm. ecosystem, to use a 
term of the moment is that it is all about measuring performance there are so yeah. many things you can measure aren't there yeah 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 i think i think you're right i think um ultimately that's the the measure i think the reason i i, I call out transparency is because it's it's the current thing that everyone's is paralyzed by and yeah. it becomes the number one excuse when you're talking to someone as to why i won't do anything um i think performance is key and i think in digital i think what's interesting is that you know if you use the page analogy at the end of the day i've got a fixed product fixed distribution network and a fixed number of people that's going to get this mm. by and large, right? And sales up and down slightly, but overall you've got a general view. In digital, you have no idea how many people are going to consume that particular page or that story mm. or that social. Absolutely. And and you do not know how many times that ad is going to be delivered to them. But based on their profile, you would hope that would have a much higher click-through rate or outcome and I think that, you know, that last click attribution also confuses people. Uh -huh. like, yep. and, and that adds a whole other murky layer if we're using, um, you know, uh, Keith's uh, analogy there. And I think for, for marketers, the challenge is looking at what exactly are you trying to deliver on and exactly what sort of emotional connection as well as performance that you're trying to deliver on because that is an area that, digital has failed they failed to actually deliver on an emotional connection right. and hence the reason we have aggregators or platforms like facebook taking off because people see it as emotional actually it's just people connecting with other people which, that's the emotion which is a human uh, desire exactly you know, people want to yeah. feel con connected but it, you know it's interesting from my perspective because uh marketers will talk about performance but in actual fact they're their idea of performance has become reduced to cost in many cases. Yeah, sadly. And I'll give you a prime example. Disclosed and non-disclosed agency arrangements. Mm. Now, I was talking, we were doing work for a client and all of their digital media was on a non-disclosed agreement. And for those that don't know, that means that the agency buys digital media on your behalf yep. through a trading desk or, or whatever, um, but they are, have no obligation to disclose any transparency into that transaction, mm. right? And the reason they do that is that sometimes they're arbitraging, mm. sometimes they're buying whole blocks of digital mm. media and then on selling it at a markup. Other times they're doing other sort of murky deals. But, you know, at the end of the day, um, the client said to, to me, I said, why did you go non, if transparency is so important, why did you go non-disclosed? And they said the agency guaranteed a lower cost per impression on non-disclosed compared to disclosed. So it showed me that the most important thing for that advertiser was lower cost. Yeah, I think... Above transparency. Yeah, 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 true. I think that's absolutely true. Ultimately, all the advertiser or the marketer cares about, because most of the time they're measured, is foot traffic. So whether you're a car dealer, whether you're David Jones, whether you're a bank, ultimately, what are you trying to do? You're going to get people in your store. Now, your store might be virtual, it might be real, whatever your store is, right? Ultimately, I need X amount of leads to buy this particular insurance product or to at least, and you know, and so if I can generate X amount of leads or foot traffic, 
or impressions, however you want to measure it, well, for a lower cost, I'm always going to take that because ultimately what I think lo what loses out in that is the value of the brand because we used to talk a lot about environment. We cared about the environment we're in, whereas in digital, as long as I can get you, Darren Woolley, I don't care if you're currently on um, Google on a site in China or you're reading well, a you know legitimate news site. I really don't care. I'm still getting you and you are more likely to buy my insurance product based on all of the other things I know about you. Except that that now pops up. It's not about environment. It's called brand safety because yeah. you do actually care when you're at a peers next to child pornography, yes. gambling, um, you know, uh, uh, prostitution, por you know, normal yeah. pornography, whatever, uh, terrorism. You know, there's all these topics that everyone. I mean, I think the irony is they called it brand safety. Mm. Right? Why not call it brand care? Do you actually care about your brand yeah. and the environment that it's seen in? Yeah. You know, would you go out and buy an outdoor site in a red light district of a city <laughs> if you've got family values? Yeah. No, you wouldn't because yeah. you care about your brand. Yeah. But when we come to the digital world, it's called brand safety. Yeah, 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 yeah. Very you know, true. It, it's like people have had a complete conniption in actually being able to translate the same principles that they've always had into the digital world because it's all about volume of people at the lowest possible price. The second point mm. is that I absolutely agree. If you're measuring leads, if you're measuring traffic that you mm. actually create, at least it's a measure in the real world. The example of disclosed and non-disclosed mm. was a, for a consumer packaged goods company mm that has no measure because they sell through retailers. Yeah, right. Right? So they're just going for impressions. Mm. They just want impressions because they treat digital so it's totally the same way as they do traditional media. Mm. You know, I can run a TV ad and I'll reach so many million people, or I can buy a million people on a cost per impression and it's cheaper than television. Yeah, right. Except that in non-disclosed, it's also very hard to know if that reach is actually real people. Yeah, that's or right. Or bots. Exactly. Or whether your ad was actually loaded. That's right. Or it was viewed yeah. or any of this. Yeah. And was it viewed with the sound on or what, you know. Yeah. I think, yeah, I think in those instances it has become a cost measure and I think that's what the biggest problem for digital media today is, that it's measured based on CPMs and... That's actually what agencies want because it allows them to put greater markups on it and greater margins on it. So the pressure they put on media or people that own that inventory is significant these days mm. because they do want to be able to arbitrage it and sell it to their clients at a so-called premium. And I think the challenge for clients then is to be really clear about what is the outcome. And I think... For a lot of them in the past, as long as they can deliver X amount of inventory or X amount of people, they've ticked a box mm. at the lowest price. Now they need to start thinking about actually what, how do they want their brand to be perceived? Where do they want their brand mm. to be perceived? How do they want to connect with people? And what are they actually going to do once those people connect? And I think, and you know, just like with all other media, digital doesn't work in isolation. It's part, it is part of an ecosystem. It's a growing part of, if not, you know, a, a significant part of the ecosystem. So I think that's where marketers have to get smarter about connecting all those dots. Because I think when it comes to television or outdoor, we all know what everyone does. 
television, you make sure you put it on it's a top-rating show, and you tell your boss so he watches the show that night, right? If you, you know, outdoor. Or you buy the outdoor on the route that he drives to work, exactly. or she drives to work. Let's stop it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> or or so, if, if, they, if there's no outdoor sites, you get a mobile outdoor site yeah, and yeah. park it across the road exactly. so that they reverse out of the driveway and hit it. Exactly, right? You can't do that in digital. You yeah. can't necessarily always find it. And I think that's where people get really concerned. Uh, but I, I mean, I, I think the, the only way is up. It's still really new. You know, I mean, that's the thing that we always Come forget. on. It's a decade old. A decade old and we've only got daily ratings and people aren't even trading on them at the moment. Okay. Think about it. I mean, it's a decade old in terms of ad units, but actually how we measure those ad units. Did we have industry well, standards? There's no, standard. there's no standards. We're working towards it. We're working We're towards it. We're taking a long time to get there. <laughs> and and that gets me on to another point. But yeah, let's keep yeah. going with this. Yeah. Look, hang on, absolutely. I had a CMO of a very large brand phone me up and go, I've just seen one of our ads and it's directly opposite a review of our competitor. And I'm going, okay. And he goes, go online and have a look. And I'm going, you do realize that I won't get the same ad served to me that you've... And he goes, no, no, I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, you had no idea. Right, yeah. Thought that their advertising was like buying space in a yeah, magazine yeah, or newspaper. Exactly. That, that everyone that looked at that review was going to see that, that ad. Oh. And, and then I said, are you at work or at home? He goes, at work. And I go, then your media agency has probably upped it so that you, <laughs> whenever you look at anything to deal with your category, your You're ad always, will be there yeah. to make you feel like they're doing a good buy. I said, what you should actually do is tell them to exclude your IP address because why are you serving ads to your own people? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he goes, I, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah. It was like a 40-minute conversation. And this is a CMO. A CMO who was spending tens of millions of dollars wow. on digital media. Wow. Now, there's people under him. Yeah, that would totally that would, get uh, it, yeah. be into it. But even they were not even thinking about things like mm. excluding their own IP address so mm. that they don't serve to the office. Yeah. Why is so that you're paying for every time you put that ad? Mm. So how many times during the day mm. is your, are your staff looking at stuff online and getting your ad popping up? <laughs> ching, 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 ching. Oh, and the agencies may be taking 35% on a non-disclosed <laughs> agreement. So true. But what, why are they not waking up? Well, I think, you know, to your uh, early point... Apart about, from its early days... No, no, it's not early <laughs> days. Okay, I'll read. I'm saying early days in terms of monetization of yeah, measurement, okay. okay? Not early days in terms of usage of digital. And I think... Um, or the understanding of it. I, I mean, I don't necessarily think it's it's waking up, it's keeping up. I mean, I think okay. for my problem is one of the challenges, just when you think you're ahead of the game, it changes again. That's there's true. a new platform, there's a new product, there's a new ad tech, there's a new way to deliver that. Um, and all of a sudden, you know, we've gone from worrying about data to now data, and now we're worrying about identity because mm. I don't just want a profile, I want actually to, I want you. You want right? to be able to target me? That's right. And so, therefore, the new conversations now about what's more valuable and how do you get that. And so, I think. You know, I think I feel for a lot of these CMOs. I mean, something as simple as targeting ad based on 
review and category kind of should have been known. That's kind of scary. But on the whole, I, I do feel because keeping up is hard, but you just have to stay committed to it. Yeah. And the reality is there are lots of industries that always have to stay ahead. They always need to study all the time, stay on top of their industry. Marketing has stayed the same for a really, really long time. True. It's been formulaic for a really long time. And in the last five, six, seven, whatever, maybe even 10 years, it's, it's started to move at a rapid rate. Mm -hmm. And so now it's incumbent on the marketer to stay informed and stay ahead and actually step up. And to our earlier conversation, not on this podcast, not rely on procurement or the other experts within the company, but use their knowledge, their um, wisdom to actually show that they know something that others don't, which they do. And, and actually, and that is how to connect with those consumers, which was always the purpose of marketing. And I love that because, as you said before, digital has to go. Yeah. Right? The idea that digital needs its own strategy mm. is wrong because from a marketing perspective, mm. it is who is our audience and what are the best ways to engage with those people mm. in the right channel. Mm. And channels may depend on what you're trying to do in each channel. Mm. So there is absolutely a role for senior marketers to define strategy Mm. very clearly so that the digital specialists can go and work out the best way to deliver on that strategy, not have a, their own separate digital strategy, mm. but be delivering against the mm. overall customer strategy mm. in those channels. Mm -mm -mm. And, and to have retail or you know the mm. actual mm. uh, e-commerce or whatever interface, those specialists deliver on that single, you know, I love the idea of the unified strategy because mm. what I see in big organisations is everyone's got their own little strategy yeah. and none of them actually align. Yeah, And, so and again, true. in that confusion, there's just opportunity for profit for anyone yeah. down the chain <laughs> Shane, to right. actually say, oh, you want to do a bit of this and a bit of this and a bit of this? We can do that. Well, I've been in meetings with, I won't mention who, but with no. major retailers and I can tell you, that I turn up to these meetings, um, you know, as a digital expert with some information and questions and sitting around the table, I get introduced to people. I just assume it's the marketing team and I get through the eight people that are sitting around this table and they're all come from agencies and they're all come from different agencies, yeah, yeah. you know, and half of them, they've got a social expert, a digital expert. Why do you need me in the room? Yeah. You know, I mean, hello, what, what are these people all doing? Except, you know, except none of them are paid. Yeah. All those agency people are not paid to deliver results. They're paid for the amount of time they right, can actually spend course, there, yeah. right? See, this is one of the things I, I, I've always loved, even when I became you know, a little junior copywriter, I loved the media agency, but I especially loved media salespeople mm. because media salespeople are right at the edge of delivering customers to marketers, mm. right? Mm -hmm. The agency is an intermediary, mm. always has been. Mm. Their job is to try and take as much money on the way through. Mm. But a media salesperson lives and dies mm. on getting a client to agree to using their media mm. and feeling at the end of that process that they got value for money, mm. 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 right? Because mm. if yeah, they don't absolutely. feel like they got... All of that's changed. Mm. There's no value equation anymore. It's all about where can I buy the lowest possible price. Mm. Mm. So there's right. media sales is now about how can I bundle it all up? That's right. To give the, as much away as possible just, I, I to get the biggest share of the budget. That's right. So you give away five, 19 things to sell one. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, and I think the other challenge you've got is actually the value that is in the creativity and the strategic thinking is actually the thing you give away. Mm. And we've always monetized the space, but actually that's the commodity. Moving forward, you have to be really smart about that because that's the engagement piece, the creativity, the strategic thinking, the actual understanding, whether it's a content marketing, whatever your particular challenge is, how you approach that has got to start off with, well, what's the strategy here? What's the outcome I'm trying to achieve? Mm -hmm. And what am I going to measure? What does success look like? But ultimately, a lot of media now are giving that away. And so therefore, they're not refining that. They're not spending enough time on that because ultimately, all they want to do is sell the space. Yeah, they're selling advertising, and yet, um, what's the uh, the food? Is it taste? Yeah, taste. Yeah, taste. Right. Um, one of the things that cracks me up is that because I go there looking for recipes, yeah. and then it says, you know, click here and you can buy it. I can't even remember Coles. 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 Right. Click there. There's my shopping list at Coles. Mm. What it should be doing is saying when it says butter. You should be talking to Fonterra to see if they want to pay to have that as Western oh, Star do. Butter. They do. Right, right. To me, that is much more interesting use of the digital environment yeah. because yeah. my engagement level looking at recipes is infinitely higher than any amount of advertising that appears around That's that, right. Right? Yeah. And yet that's the bit that seems to have disappeared. Yeah. Because the focus, your point about selling space, is about usually selling ad space, not selling content as the business driver. Yeah, and do you know what was really interesting? When I did that Taste Coles deal five years ago... Oh, my God, you actually did the deal. I did the deal. Fantastic. I tell you right now, it took 18 months to do that deal, and it was so foreign for any supermarket... And I went back, I think I went to Woolies five or six times to Bella Vista, hours, workshops, everything. It was so foreign for the for both the client and their agencies, to be fair, to think about this anything more than a media deal and value it on the amount of impressions that were being delivered. And I kept saying, no, no, you are now part of the connected kitchen. Yeah. No woman in this country, and I say woman not to be sexist, 85% yeah, of the yeah. traffic is female. Well, was back then. It's, it's more gender neutral now. But the point is, no person gets to four o'clock on a weekday and goes, oh, my God, what am I going to cook tonight without going to taste in this country? Yeah. When they go to taste, they want quick and easy recommendations. They want product substitutes. And guess what? You now have the opportunity to deliver um, specials that are happening in your area, to deliver um FMCG products based on what's in that recipe. So now if you go to rice, all that rice is no longer rice, it's sunrice. All of of that. Now, that was... So I wasn't sure if the brands were there because of a deal or that it was just... No, it was a deal, but it's really, really forward thinking of the marketers because they're not thinking about a campaign. Sunrise isn't sitting there or Fonterra's not thinking anything, I just need it for six weeks. That is a commitment to 24-7, I am part of that ecosystem. Mm. Um, And, you know, it probably is an annual deal, but the, the reality is that means that I'm intrinsically connected to that content and therefore intrinsically connected to that recipe and hence the consumer and ultimately the connected kitchen. And that's actually the beauty of digital. It's no longer just an an ad with lots of space in MasterChef, right, which that particular supermarket, Coles, already probably spends the same amount of money for 13 weeks on MasterChef, reaches a lot of people Mm -hmm. but doesn't actually connect when someone is truly cooking. And that's where digital can really offer something quite different and unique. If you move beyond price, and start thinking about environment, 
not I don't want to call it brand safety, brand mm. care. If you mm. really care about your brand, mm. then you want to have it in environments where people are highly engaged and focused in what your brand has to offer, mm -hmm. right? And that's the bit that I think is missing because all of the digital advertising targeting is focused on me as an individual mm. and my profile that's been built. Now, mm. you know, I actually tell my friends, I don't believe everything you see me share on social media. I'm doing it to upset the algorithm. Right? <laughs> so, so, of course you are. So, so, <laughs> I must try that. <laughs> so, so, yeah, because I, th I know they've been collecting this information. In I fact, know. I had a conversation with someone that's been in social media for 10 years and I go, you did realise that they're profiling, you know, the whole time they're profiling you. Mm. Every app you sign up for, every people. Well, I tell you what, I went the other day at a friend out from the US and she went onto my Facebook page, went into my settings. I ask everyone to do that. Have a look at your ad settings. Have a look at the profile that's mm. already been built on you. And I was shocked. Made complete sense about what ads were being served. If you're in the US, it's already worked out based on what you read, what political persuasion mm. you are. It will deliver ads based on that. And that sits within your profile mm. and it's constantly added to i think it's uh it's amazing um it's exciting but it's also quite scary hmm. well uh, this person was amazed that they made a phone call to someone and then the next day inside the facebook app that person was put up as someone that they may want to connect with wow right and i've had the same thing on linkedin i'll send an email or i'll receive an email from someone and suddenly because these apps are not just self-contained no of course not. you've given permission for them to go right through your yeah. your technology platform and draw any information they want to draw to actually mm. enhance your experience of them yeah well, I think this period at the moment that we're going through with all this analysis of particularly Facebook with Cambridge Analytica, I think it's going to be really interesting times. Where, where do you see it going? Um, look, I don't know that I necessarily agree with the extreme view of regulation. I think self-regulation is probably, there needs to be some level of self-regulation. There needs to be some Spoken level. like the chair of the IAB. <laughs> um, uh, outgoing. I'm outgoing. Uh, so... Uh, but I do, I do think, uh, you know, I think I speak to too many people that don't understand when they're on these social medias what, they, that what, they're, platforms, giving away. what they're giving away. And I think that's wrong as well. Um, but I think, you know, I think it'll be really interesting to see what their next steps are because they, it's, it's a really challenging time. But my point on, final point on that particular question is what's interesting is it hasn't seemed to have impacted advertisers, particularly in this country. You've seen a slowing down in the US of a lot of people going, actually, I don't think I will spend as much money with Facebook anymore. I'm going to, you know, watch what's going on. But in Australia, I haven't seen that no, to be the case. No. It's, uh, it, and and uh, I think it's because we delude ourselves to think that the Pacific Ocean somehow protects us from the, uh, <laughs> yeah, the right. ills of Silicon Valley. The, the big issue, I think, is going to be that in May, mm. the EU regulations yes, on data, the GDPR, PR, yeah. um, a I don't think a lot of companies realise that if they have anyone in their database that is in the EU, they're going to have to comply with the GDPR. Yeah. And that is a whole new game with making available the data that you have on that person. Well, I also think what's incredible is all these businesses and companies that have built their their global businesses based on that data. 
Mm. I mean, what are they, they? I don't think people have put two and two together. They will no longer be able to operate in the EU at all. Like, um, well, you can as long as you comply with all yeah, of the well, regulations that's around. That's right. You know, anyone in any citizen of the EU will be able to contact you and ha- and have a complete audit done on everything you hold. Mm. and who you've shared that with and what you've used it for. And if you have, first of all, if you don't comply, Mm. you're in breach Mm. and can be prosecuted. Secondly, if you comply and you've been in breach, you Mm. can be prosecuted. Mm. So, you know, there's a whole new... So I think the EU has already set the standard for data. Mm. I think that transparency around what is held on us... I, I, all the reading I've done, I think blockchain, when it finally reaches mm. maturity, if I could put all of the data that's been collected on Darren Woolley and put that into a blockchain that I control and I can start to release the bits of it to advertisers in return for some sort of consideration that's of value mm. to me, that once we as individuals uh, have the ability to control our personal data and transact mm. it in a way that delivers. And I'm not talking about being paid no, 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 to, to have ads served to me, but you know, to be able to say to a financial services company, okay, you can have this bit of information, which is my financial profile. Mm. There's the access on the blockchain, I've given that to you. But anything you come back with, I want a discount on the interest rate or I want a, mm. you know, some sort of deal. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that's really interesting. It will completely change change the world. It will. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Very interesting. suddenly, as individuals, we have value. Mm. I mean, the industry has wasted their opportunity for years Mm. by saying, oh, yeah, the customer's valuable Mm. to us, but then treated most customers like crap. Mm, mm, You know? Bombarding someone with meaningless emails, serving uh, ads to them, remarketing. Yeah, I know. I mean, I read an article and there was 12 ad spaces and they were all the same company. I know. So clearly they're remarketing to me because I must have done something. Something, yeah. And I'm going 12 times. I know. I, I think I go back to a personal salesperson. If you approached me once and I rejected you, why would you approach me 11 more times? <laughs> or oh, actually what's crazy is half the time you've actually already bought the product yeah. or you've consumed the product and they're still marketing it to you. It's like, oh, you, I'm done. Like, you yeah. know, it's very interesting. I think, you know, marketers are going to have to get smarter mm. and they're going to have to be careful on who they listen to to get their advice. Mm. You know, I think there's so many people out there giving advice, mm. but they're all selling something, mm. even the consulting firms. Mm. Absolutely. I mean, I think that the next phase of the consulting firms and what they will be driving uh, in terms of, you know, whether they will actually drive change or they're, they're, they're just jumping on the bandwagon of murkiness to capture some dollars themselves will be really interesting. Mm. Yeah, well, uh, there was an article in the Wall Street Journal which says uh, the biggest, for the four big uh, auditing firms, mm. so PwC, Deloitte, KPMG, KPMG yeah. uh, they've generated more revenue in the last 12 months from consulting than they have from auditing. Yeah, wow. So are we going to be back where we were with Enron, where auditing and consulting had to be separated? 
Oh, yeah, of course. Because if you're giving advice and being, you know, it's a, it's a bit like your self-regulation. Mm. Um, if the, the gatekeeper, the, the policeman, is also the one that's recommending how to break the, break the law, mm. is that a really good system? Mm. Mm. Very interesting. Mm. Yeah. Now I just want to. Um, we talked about keeping up to date. You mm. mentioned that. You know, what what do you, what's the most exciting uh, innovation that you've seen recently in the space? I mean, oh my you know, gosh. there's been so many things, AI and blockchain and all yeah. that. Yeah. But but something that's really got you excited. Yeah. Look, I mean, I have to save all the things that I've worked on as much as I've loved content marketing, and I. You know, I really love our, I mean, I think how we're using data and analytics, we haven't really even mastered yet. And to me, that is really exciting. So I feel like it's particularly early days. I think some of the conversations I'm having with clients that are truly trying to unlock customer value, the conversation is actually not at the, you know, at the sort of anywhere in the funnel, they're actually about understanding their customers and, and, and looking at matching their data with anyone else's data and looking at what those synergies are, I think are really interesting. Mm. Um, and so to me, I think uh, data is very exciting. I love AI. Um, I just finished a piece of work on AI at the end of last year okay. for News Corp and I, I, got, I learned a lot out of that. Again, just scratched the f- surface. I think for me, AI has been misconstrued as a cost-saving mechanism. Like I'll be able to save people because all of a sudden a machine can do a person's job. That's not the case at all. Um, I think what AI does is automate and, you know, it's kind of like performance makes us better so that we can focus on the better stuff. Well, I see the big um, opportunity is being able to personalise at scale in real time because AI is going to be able to make those decisions based on data. Yeah have an algorithm of how to respond and test and learn. Yeah, and I think the testing and learning is a really interesting thing because what you're seeing now, it's, you know, again, using Facebook analogy, there's a lot of blaming of the algorithm. Mm. Oh, well, no human was involved in that. The algorithm determined, you know, uh, what you got. And I think what AI allows us to do is actually get a lot, let let humans and the algorithm get closer together. Mm. And I think in the... Currently, we're too far apart. Mm. So I think I think that's a really exciting um, opportunity for where we go next. But I've, I'm not sure we as a country really have a view yet or I've read anything that I go, oh, that that's really one to watch. Mm. Um, I think there's a lot of good thinking happening, um, but uh, I haven't really seen anything that I've gone, yeah, that's amazing. Mm. Um, like it's not like when Amazon created dynamic pricing five or six years ago and all of a sudden we saw the book industry that we all thought was going to be dead actually take off again yeah. because dynamic pricing meant that, it, you know, an author could release his old books at, or her old books at 99 cents and when the new book came out, everyone would buy it and you yeah. know, depending on the time of day and all of those things, I haven't seen anything quite as clear and as linear as that. But I think AI will take us to that next phase. Right, Nick, Nicole Sheffield, thank you very much. We've run out of time. Oh, it's wow. gone quickly, it has, hasn't it? It has indeed. But uh, a final question. What's next for you? 